Today I want to talk about what it means to be a real man and a real woman. Solving it all for you today. What makes a good wife or a good husband? And it even gets better than that. I'm going to preach from a passage today that most people won't preach from because it's too controversial. Aren't you glad you came today? I mean, think about it. This is the day to come. Because it has this verse in it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And all the women say, Amen. <laughs> um, but when you preach through a... Uh, when you tr- preach in a style that's called expository preaching and you go through a book of the Bible, I use, you let Peter decide what we're going to preach on. And the Apostle Peter, who was inspired by God, wrote this, and we go through it and we hit the subjects that he hits because they're important. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about uh, this whole concept of what it makes a real man and a real woman, what makes us uh, worthy in God's sight, what makes us the way he wants us to be. Because he is going to address men in this too, just for the record. Uh, we move back to our main point of our section, which is uh, 1 Peter two eleven through 12. Remember, we are sojourners and exiles. We are not of this world. We are exiles, which means that we're not always going to fit in. We're going to do things that are going to go against the standards of this world. And we're supposed to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against you. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So we do what we do to glorify God because we have been called by Him to be changed, but we also do it so that other people are glorified in it. When we are consistent with what we say and we show the gospel in our actions, people come to know who God is. So Peter is writing about women and men here, and about their relationships with each other in marriage, and how a real woman or man of God should be. He spends more time on women on this. Now, do not take this as, well, women need more work. Please do not take that as that. He spends more time because we think there are more saved women than saved men. I still think that's true. If you look at most churches, there are more women. And the big passage of this is how you can have an impact on your husband. Because there's going to be women... And we know women that are in this building, women that are throughout the, our uh, Christian community, that have unsaved husbands. And he's going to be addressing them because there's a more of a, a need for them to know, how can I help my unsaved husband come to know Jesus? And so there's going to be a few more verses about them, but, uh, but trust me, the men get there too. Um, first of all, we need to address some things before we start talking about anything with marriage and women and men is that God wrote the owner's manual when it comes to us, okay? We don't define marriage. When there was this whole concept of the definition of marriage that was going on in our public sector, I thought to myself, who do we think we are? We didn't, we didn't write the book. We didn't create marriage. God created marriage. He gets to define it. I, I can say that it now is whatever, but it doesn't mean it's right because God is the maker of it. So God created man first, and then he said, in Genesis 2.18, then, then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make her helper fit for him. Notice the word fit for him. There is something about this that women and men were created to have this unity together, where they were fit together. And he said that I'm going to make a helper, which is not second rate. It's somebody that's going to be alongside him. 
And he says in Genesis 2, 24 through 25, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And I'm about to read the next verse, but I have to stop first. When I do, when I used to, well, we were all a bunch of Christian college students. We were all trained to be pastors. And we would have uh, a wedding, and you know how you paint the car? And so I would always paint the next verse on people's car. Uh, not paint, you know, not for real, but with whatever we did. And I would put on the side of their car as they were driving away, naked and not ashamed. <laughs> and then, to make sure that they knew, I put Genesis 2.25 on it because it's in the Bible. And so I remember distinctly, we were at a very conservative church. One of my friends named Steve, uh, almost all my friends are named Steve, and it's true. And so one of my friends named Steve was getting married, and I wrote this on his car. It's a very conservative church, and this nice older lady comes out, and he goes, oh my, naked, not ashamed. And then she saw Genesis 2, 25. She went, oh, it's a Bible verse. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, I just had to throw that in there. And the man and his wife shall, were both naked and were not ashamed. See, it's right there. So, uh, but basically what he's trying to say is there was a perfection that was created. There was a perfection that was created by God, and this is the way it was supposed to be. And then you say, so why has it changed? Well, sin. The fall. Things change. We, sin infected us all. It infected this world. Marriages are failing. Divorce rates are up. And young people today, one of the reasons that we're seeing divorce rates drop is because people aren't even bothering getting married anymore. And so they're just saying, this is a failed institution. And outside of Christ, it really doesn't have a lot of hope because it's only in Christ that this is really a true marriage. So why the problem? Because we have two fallen people, sinful people, getting married. And when you have two sinful people getting married, guess what? They're not always going to be perfect with one another. They're going to act as two fallen people married to one another. And God has a plan, though, to restore the image of God. And as God has a plan to do as much as possible on this earth by His Word and His Spirit to bring us back to the way we are supposed to be. Now, I talked about the owner's manual. God created us. He's the owner. He writes the manual. Why? Because He knows why He created us, how He created us, and how we're supposed to be. So we need to listen to what He says. Now, there's a lot of people, when I was reading through this, some people are saying, well, we have to throw certain passages of the Bible out because they're just... They don't fit with our modern way of thinking or postmodern way of thinking. And the response that I'd have with that is, there are ways that seem right, but only God has the way. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it is the way to death. So if we really study these words, we, studied, we talked about last week about how we're supposed to respect authority, or two weeks ago, respect authority. We talked about last week about respecting um, in our work situation. And we need to understand that God is asking us to step above and beyond and to be the people he has called us to be and it is the best way we can be. Also, we need to understand the context of what Peter is writing at this time. Some people may look at this passage and say he's demeaning to wives and women in general. But you need to understand that the Bible is the most radical book for lifting up of women. Jesus broke codes like crazy. You know what Jesus did? He talked to women. He treated them as equals. He taught them. He, he, he spoke with them. He had them as his followers. Who were the first people to see Jesus alive? Who did Jesus reveal himself to? Women. That was a really bad idea in the ancient world. Because women weren't even supposed to testify in court. But he said, 
I don't like what you're doing, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to show you what I think of that. I'm going to go reveal myself to women first. And, and God has a way of saying this. Um, Jewish and Roman law did not treat women with respect. Women were treated as possessions of their husbands. There was this concept of paterfamilia, and it was that men had power of life and death over their whole family, especially their wives. In this Roman concept, you could kill your own family, and it would not be considered wrong because you own them. And especially your wife, you own them. And so what did Peter say in this, these verses that we're about to go through? Men have responsibilities to their wives. I could see people going, what? We have to, what? And then he says, women and men are equal. He will say that in this passage. They're heirs with you in grace of life. And God is the one who's in charge of life and death, not you. So Peter is going to go right in the face of his culture. And he's going to say, this is where you are wrong. And you need to be called on it. And you know what the passage we're about to be used? I talked about the ones last week where they used the word slave. Those were used horribly in our, in our country to say that slavery was right. These passages that we're talking about today have been used to justify abuse. Well, that woman needs to submit, so thus I must do whatever I can to make her submit. Or they're talking about, um, they, they have this concept of a, like abuse or that this whole concept that women are less and they should be treated as less. These verses say nothing of the sort, but they have been used that way. So when we hear the word today, women submit, we think to our, well, all we can think of is some of those negative things that have been done. But let's go through the passage. Let's find out what Peter has to say to us. It says in verse 1, Likewise, wives should be subject to their own, your own husbands, so that even if you do not obey the word, if they, some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word or conduct of their wives. This is, sorry, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Again, any submission runs against our culture. We've talked about this before. Submitting to our boss, we talked about last week. Even when our boss just doesn't seem that bright. Submitting to our government. I didn't vote for them. I don't want to submit. The word here is submit, and it does not say submit if they are right. In fact, it says even, that even if some do not obey the word. Why are women asked to be subject? It says this in the end of verse 1 and 2, so that if, even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. It appears there was a group of women that were part of the church that, or churches that Peter is writing to, and they had unsaved husbands. And, and I know a lot of people share this state, and what they said is, if you obey, the, they do not obey the word, your, your husband, but you need to obey the word and obey Christ and show them by your pure conduct and your respectfulness who Jesus is. Now, that means that you do what you can to love somebody into the kingdom of God. When, they, when your husband sees a transformed believer, they will be impressed. You'll be the best wife he could ever hope for, and he will want to know what is it about her and how can I get it? How can I become like that? So his first passage here, he's saying, you know, it's very important that you understand when your husband is unreasonable, do everything you can to submit. Because by doing this, you are beyond your own words. He says, without a word. Now sometimes we're good at words, at bad at actions. We're good at telling everybody else what to do is wrong. 
but we don't want to necessarily do it ourselves. And what he is saying here, it's not going to be the constant harping on somebody. It's going to be showing them the action of being transformed by God that's going to change them. So what does this word submit mean or be subject? I, I think it's important that we break this word down before we get into this completely. We are told to submit. Everybody is told to submit at one time. We've just seen the like two passages submit to the authorities over us, to submit to our boss at work. And so even the young men later are going to be told to submit to the elders in the church. Ephesians 5.21 puts it this way. The whole church is called to submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, everybody has to learn this skill. Everybody has to learn it in the Christian church. There is some place that you will have to submit. Submit to authority, submit to this, or something like that. Submission is not about equality. Please understand this. Submission is not one person is not as good, one person is better. So thus you must listen. Women and men are completely equal in God's eyes. They are different, and I'm so thankful for that. Okay? But I would not like the world to be all men. What a terrible world that would be. You know, I'm just as a man I can say that. Just you know, we need women. Women need men. We we are created to be with each other. The the helper in Genesis is not a slave, but on the same level. We are both heirs of Christ, it's gonna say in this verse. Submission also does mean, does mean do not break God's word when you do it. Well, my husband told me to rob the bank, and I'm supposed to submit to his will, so I'm going to go rob the bank. No, that is not true at all. We can, you, cannot dis, you, can dis, you cannot disobey God for anything. Anything that is demanded of you that is outside of what God tells you to do, you cannot do. And the true definition is to place yourself under one author puts it this way, submission is the Christian grace of yielding one's preferences to another rather than asserting one's rights. Respect and willingness to follow a lead, it is not, and you're doing it for God, again, not because he deserves it. We talked about with government, okay? There's a lot of people really angry with our government right now. I don't like this person, I don't like this person, what are they doing? It's not that they deserve it. God has called us to come under their authority. Okay? It's important that we understand this passage is doing it because it is doing it for the sake of God and because God deserves it, not because your husband deserves it. How can this be done? Well, simply by being a real woman. I'm just going to use that term because now you hear this term about being a real man. And I, I'm using the term also to be a real woman. What does it mean to be a real woman? And God has set standards for what it means. If you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Do not be adorning... To do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting out of gold, jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is in, which in God's sight is very precious. This verse is not as how some have interpreted that women should not do their hair or try to look nice. This is not permission to say, hey, let it, you know, whatever. God has called me to never let my hair look good. Okay, I'm just going to let it, you know. I know some guys that do this, especially in college. God has called us. What he's trying to say here is that how all excessive and expensive and seduction looks. This, all this stuff he's talking about were things that were used as means of seduction. All of these seductive looks that were being used, he said that is not the way Christian women should be. 
Christian women should not be dressing this way in a seductive way. They should be dressing in a modest way. Doesn't mean they shouldn't have jewelry. Doesn't mean they shouldn't do their hair nice. It doesn't, but they shouldn't be doing it in a way that draws attention to themselves or that draws attention to their bodies. And he's being very clear about this. He says, not that he's saying that it's bad, that a woman looks nice, but what he's saying is, when you do that, you need to understand that that's not what's important. The inner is important. But let your adoring, adorning be of the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight is very precious. In other words, the emphasis is on inner beauty, imperishable. I think I'm about to turn 50 this year or next year. I'm understanding, first of all, why does everybody keep making the letters on everything so much smaller? I'm just convinced that people are printing smaller now. Okay? I'm convinced that my body creaks more. I'm convinced that it's harder to keep weight off. I'm convinced of all these things than we go through. Looks, I don't look as good as I did when I was 20. I'm not as in good shape as I used to be. There's pictures of me playing basketball in college, and I'm like, who is that guy? He can actually jump. You know, things like that. I, I just don't, it, it's a weird concept, but beauty fades. Okay? He is saying what is imperishable is the inner beauty that is more important. Gentle and quiet spirit that is tuned to God, which is going to be pleasing to God and also pleasing to your husband. He's saying all of these things to let us know that what we need to emphasize is what's important. Emphasize, yes, trying to look nice. That's a good thing. But emphasize the inner spirit and inner beauty. And that is what lasts forever, and that's what pleases God. And so important that he says, emphasize that, not the other. And then he gives the example in verses 5 and 6, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. So Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Use, use the example of Sarah in the Old Testament. She followed Abraham to the promised land. She asserted her will also, though, and demanded that Hagar and Ishmael leave. So it's not like her submissiveness was, hey, whatever you say is right. When something was wrong, she was willing to say that it was wrong. Submission is not silence. It's respectfully saying, this is what I think we should do. Instead of what I've heard before, you're an idiot, stop doing that. That's basically, hey, let's just switch on to this. How about popular literature, popular TV right now? How are men treated? Men are all morons. They, they basically just, women pick on them and say they're morons because they really are. But that's our kind of our cultural thing right now. How about respect? When you disagree, respectfully disagree. Respectfully say, no, this is the way we should go. And it's important that that's the term that he's using right there. So he's using Sarah, who did disagree with Abraham. But she did it with respect. Now the next word is kind of scary when she says, and she called him Lord. I don't know anybody wants to be called Lord by their wife. This was a term of respect. But I think the reason he's throwing this in here is very quickly just to say this. He throws this in there so you understand that we as men value the respect of our wives so much. A man who is respected by his wife is a man who is happy. A man that has his wife treat him in such a way that lifts him up 
can make or break a man. The concept of an opinion. If a man is being told by his wife how horrible he is, how terrible he is, how he does everything wrong, and how she can't stand him, and he needs to get better, and he never does anything right, is going to destroy him. God created us in such a way, and vice versa too. We're going to talk about this in just a minute. Vice versa, but it's very important that we understand that women and men, men need this uh, concept of just having their wife say that and to love and respect them. And by doing this, again, a lot of this comes back to he is speaking about Christians and non-Christians here. He is saying that this is going to show the man who God is and draw them to Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. So now we're just going to quit the sermon and, and stop verse, verse 7 and not talk about husbands. And I'll be honest with you, that happens too much. There's all kinds of sermons about women. This is what you should do. Women should be like this. And you kind of skip. Um, and it's important that we understand verse 7, the husband's role. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So he, first of all, he starts out saying, Likewise, live like Christ. Live unto Christ. Use God's will over your own. And your goal is to see people drawn to God. So, live with your wives in an understanding way. This verse may be one of the most difficult verses written in the Bible for men. Because the actual understanding, if you get to the Greek, is live in a way of knowledge of your wife. I, I dare any man that would raise a hand and say, I understand women. Anybody? Anybody? No, nobody? 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 It's a constant, it, it, you never graduate, okay, is what I'm trying to say. You're constantly learning. You may be married 70 years. Ask, go to, go to a 50-year, um, you know, wedding anniversary and ask the man, do you really understand your wife completely? No, 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 no. Ask the wife the same question, just be honest with you. But it's what it is saying is, your job as a man is to live with your wives in an understanding way. In other words, to find out what she needs, what she wants, and make sure she has it. Her needs over yours. See, see what I'm trying to say? It's a two-way street here. Live so you understand her. It's against the culture of Peter's day, which was keep your wife in line. There was, you could beat your own wife at this time. It was okay. Instead, you were supposed to look out for her, way, for her needs, try to find ways that please her. It's not based on whether she deserves it or not, because you could make the argument, just like I talked about submission, you could say, well, you don't know my husband, or you don't know my wife. She is not an easy woman. Well, first of all, I'd like to ask the question, last time I checked, you said I do, so you're in this for the game, all right? But second of all, learn what she needs. Learn what she wants. Learn in a way of knowledge of her. And do what you can to show her love in every way you possibly can. And the word here, actually living together, is a sexual term. It was especially used of sexual relations between husband and wife. And so there's some of the intended meaning was the fact that the man was being selfish in his marital needs. And what he's trying to say is, look out for your wife's needs over your own needs. Look out for what makes your wife happy, not what makes you happy. So in other words, the Bible doesn't just go one direction here. 
It's never just one direction. When women submit, how about man live and find out what your wife needs and make sure she gets it? How about that? And men, we're supposed to try the best we can to understand and what they need. Showing honor to women. Women, unheard of in Peter's day. You're supposed to value her. She's supposed to be your, your greatest asset. She's supposed to be the person that you are more concerned about than anybody in the world. She is the jewel of your life. The term for honor here is so high. You should lift her up and make her feel like she is the most wonderful person because she is in your life. Now the next term has been taken out of context a few times because she is the weaker vessel. What does this mean? It is your job to carry the heavy stuff. Okay, men, just so you understand. We can all whatever, but what it's saying, it's just a strength thing here. He's not talking about women are weak. This is verse has been taken out of context too, where it's like, oh, don't worry your pretty little head. I've heard that term used, and I, I saw it like an older movie. It's like, oh, don't worry your pretty little head, young lady. I thought to myself, that's, that, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> that's not living in knowledge of women. That's just living in lack of knowledge world. But it's important that we understand that what he is trying to say here is honor them and they are the weaker vessel because of physical strength. Why is that? Hey, there are some women that are really, I mean, not trying to say, but for the most part, men are supposed to do this. I am convinced that my wife married me because I can reach things on high shelves. I mean, we go to the store. John, go get that. John, pick this up. John, do that. That's what I'm supposed to do. We're supposed to lay down our lives. We're the God has given us strength. But I want to tell you another thing, that, and I want to come out really hard on this. Man's physical strength can never, ever be used to intimidate women. That is not what it's for. Well, good for you. You're stronger than your girlfriend. You can beat her up. That strength should be for her protection. That strength should be for her comfort. That strength should be all for her. She should never feel anything but comfort because you are stronger than her. And that's what it's saying. It says honor her. Your job is to protect her and, and be with her. And then he lays it out like this. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Understand the fact that you're both going to be in heaven someday. There are some religions where they have some very male-oriented religions. Islam is one of them. Where... When you die, you get a bunch of virgins, okay, if you have a certain death. Or there's other religions where if you die, you get some women and you help populate your own planet. My argument against those religions is, do the women get any choice in those religions? Does that sound like one you want to sign up for as a woman? Your job is to help this man that you don't even know populate a planet. Okay, no, he is saying right here is that women are co-heirs with you and they are going to heaven if they accept Jesus Christ with you. So to be a real man and a real woman is to draw together in unity and understand we're in this together. And you know, the concept here is co-heirs also, the concept that you also bring children with you or others with you on this. There's equality because of salvation. And lastly, he puts it this way, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Fascinating text he just says right here. So that your prayers may not be hindered. He says, if you do not treat your wife correctly, if you do not look out for her needs, if you do not show honor, if you do not realize that she is co-heirs, God 
is your prayers to him are going to be hindered. Now, this is a passage you can look at a lot of different ways. Is it up in God in heaven saying, no, get your act right and I'm not going to listen? Is it the fact that you can't pray well when you're mad? We don't understand it completely. But what it is saying is, as a man, you have a responsibility. If you don't treat your wife correctly, it's going to hinder your prayer life. It's going to hinder God answering your prayers that you call out to him on. God, why am I not doing well in life? Why am I not doing this? You know what? Ask the question. Peter is asking us today to say, how are you treating your wife? How are you treating your, your wife at home? Are you treating her with honor? Are you trying to do everything you can to lift her up? Are you looking out for her needs? Are you trying to be more knowledgeable every day about her so that you can lift her up to the highest state she can be? Or are you treating her poorly? Because if you're treating her poorly, it's going to hinder your prayers. It's going to hinder what God wants to do in your life. So all this comes together. Women, be subject to your own husbands. Even that term, I didn't talk about that. It doesn't mean everybody. It says be subject to your own husbands. Men, you need to respect. You need to love. You need to look out for the woman more highly than yourself. You need to find ways to make her happy. You need to find ways to lift her up higher, to respect what she needs. And all of this is to show two things. First of all, it's to show the husband or wife that you're with the glory of God. It's to show God himself that you're following after him. But then the last thing we need to understand, if we have good Christian marriages where men and women are living out this life, you know what this is going to do for our Christian witness in this world? Because to be honest with you, the world is looking for a way to do marriage that's right. Why do you think people are trying to redefine it? Because we haven't been doing a very good job at it. But if we live the way God calls us to be, we live as real men and real women the way God calls us to be, we can be the witness that people will glorify God through the deeds we do. God will receive the glory. More people will come to know Him. We'll have a happier marriage. Seems like a good way for everybody. Why don't you stand with me right now? We're going to have our prayer ministers come forward. If you're with us today and you've never accepted Christ, I want you to understand that Christ's way is radical. Christ's way is swimming against the current. But I tell you what, the current isn't going the right direction. So when we say being a, a follower of Jesus Christ is going to change you, but you know what? It's going to put you on the track that you're supposed to be on. It's going to make you the man or woman of God that he has called you to be. It's going to restore you to his image. And that's what you're called to do today. If you're here today and you want to ask God to be the master of your life, you want to ask him to, be, to forgive you of your sins, and you want to follow him and be restored to that image, the glorious image that you're supposed to be, right now or at, right after the service, come and see one of our prayer ministers. Also, if you're here today, and you've never accepted, you need healing or you need something in your life, come and see one of our prayer ministers so they can pray for you. Any need that you have. But for us today, I'm calling us. If you're here today and say, well, I'm not married. Okay, you know what? Start treating the people that you're around like this. Start treating women with respect before you're married. Okay, if you're a man, start using your strength to help women. Show, find out what women need and be nice to them. If you're a woman, start to, start to act in such a way 
towards other uh, towards men maybe you're dating or things like that show them respect there's a lot of things we can learn even if we're not married at this time how we treat other people but for everybody here who's married it's important that we follow these things if you're here and you have an unsaved husband or wife these actions that peter lays out are for that purpose that's one of the primary purposes is to draw them to jesus christ to draw them to him but for, if you're here and you've got a, a spouse that's married, it's also for you, because he's talking about here like Sarah and Abraham. He's talking about an example. It's for us to show respect. No more put-downs each other. No more intimidation. No more nagging one another. No more showing each other disrespect. No more this is about loving, being subject, looking out for one another, and showing the world what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ, and showing your spouse that you love them the way God intended you to love them. This is what he's calling you to do today. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your, for your words that you gave to your Apostle Peter, God. And the way that you gave them to us, God, so that we can know how to act. And God, we fall short in so many ways of the things that are in here. Everybody here may be just feeling, man, I, I can't do that. I haven't been the best. Lord, first of all, we need to understand that there's forgiveness. If we have sinned in these areas, we need to ask forgiveness, God. But if, again, if you command us, you also give us the power and the strength to do it if we call upon you. And so right now we call upon you, O Lord. And we call upon you in such a way, Lord, that you will help us to be the real men and real women that we're supposed to be. We just thank you today, Lord, for your example. We thank you for your word. And Lord, let us this week go out and see lives change. Give us opportunities to share the gospel, God, whether it's through our words or our conduct, God. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have our prayer ministers available for anybody who needs them. Otherwise, you are dismissed.